Hey folks, welcome back to the Traders for a Cause podcast. I'm your host, Zach Shellhaas. My guest this week is the man behind Adaptive Analytics Trading. You know him on Twitter as Autumnal City. This is Mr. Tim Parker. Tim, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. I'm well. And you? I am well. Uh, keeping busy, man. Starting to uh, get ready to plan what, we're, what we have going on for uh, 2022. Hope to see you again, possibly in Vegas in the fall. It's Always, yeah. It's my my understanding. You guys are are moving and shaking. So big things ahead for T four AC, as I understand uh, it. So. I I hope to I hope to think that that's the case. So Tim, we've been uh, we've been talking for a few weeks now, and trying to get this thing on the schedule, and we're finally uh, finally doing it today. There's a concept that we've been tossing around, and uh, you like to call it black boxing. Can you kind of give me an idea of exactly what black boxing is, generally speaking? Yeah, so it's really a la for lack of a better word thing. That phrase black boxing comes from computer science and electronics. So I think from circuitry and a black box as such is a, a process or a system where um, you can only evaluate it based on specific and defined and predictable inputs and outputs. And you don't really understand the inner workings of the system itself. In other words, it's opaque to the person scrutinizing it or viewing it. And that's not really that in and of itself isn't really what I mean when I call it black boxing. What we're, what we're talking about when we talk about black boxing is something that is impenetrable by the bad parts of human behavior. It's not that we want to design systems that we don't understand or are opaque to us. It's that we want to design systems that we can't reach inside in emotionally and financially pressurized environments because we can't make good decisions in those environments. That's what that's what the term the term black boxing that's where that comes from. So just to add to that a little bit. I think the most important part of that conversation is is a, a change in perception for traders and human beings really, but traders vocationally speaking is a, 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 an important adjustment in perception of what we are as people rationality, logic is a really funny thing to study in human beings because we extrapolate from our capacity for it to like an assumed state of it, assumed state of being quite logical organisms, rational organisms. And that's really not a leap we're comfortable making in other areas. Like I could say I have a capacity for brutal and excessive violence or bigotry, but I, I would never extrapolate that to my state. And if you made that extrapolation about me from my capacity for something to my state, I would find that very objectionable. But that's what we do with our mind all the time is we extrapolate from our capacity for being very, very logical in our decisions to that's the way that we are. And I think that there's, and we, could, we can go in a million direction, directions from there, but I think that's just observably not the case. Okay, so when it comes to this, irrationality how do we apply that to trading the markets yeah so it starts with as i mentioned the perception shift of of what exactly is going on at the level of human decision making and so that that perception shift that occurs is you think you are a rational creature and you acknowledge that you are subject to interference from emotion and i think that what you need to believe what you need to understand you actually are is an extremely emotional creature modestly subject to interference from reason. That's really important because 
I call this brokenness. So when we th- when we talk when we talk about uh, black boxing human decision making, we're really looking at three areas of things we're trying to pro- problems. What is any solution? It's it's, it's addresses a pro- gratifies a problem. Brokenness, biases, and blind spots, and we can unpack all three. Brokenness, for lack of a better word, I, I call it. And why the word broken? It's because you, Mister Trader, each of us as a trader. You are broken in exactly the dimension that you very likely believe is a default condition of your humanity, which is your reasonableness, your rationality, your right thinking. But you don't think the right, you observably, and working with hundreds of traders over the years, you observably do not think the right things inside or outside of your vocation. If you thought the right things, you would likely be a much happier person than you are, and, and many aren't. And if vocationally, you thought and did the right things, correct vision and correct action in your in your vocation, then they'd all be profitable traders. And just depending on the stat you choose to believe, the vast majority of traders aren't aren't. Of course. So I think that's the important perception shift. And so that so to bottom out at the the concept of black boxing, that that exactly there is where we get this this idea of black boxing. Black boxing to define it is the formalized commitment to subordinate human decision making to sane and sober protocols because we richly acknowledge that sane and sober is going to be a state it's almost impossible to access at the time the decisions need to be made. So just to repeat that once more, black boxing, a formalized commitment to subordinating the the human decision-making function to sane and sober protocols because when in real time, in an emotionally or financially pressurized environment, when we go to make the decision, that sane and sober state is going to be extremely hard to access for us. And I can define the mechanics of that or not as desired by. So we're, we're essentially, we're trying to compartmentalize our emotions and take them out of the equation, correct? Is that, is that kind of like what you're saying when, when we uh, talk about black boxing them? Absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I I've had this conversation with many traders about how anybody can pick up a calculator and figure out what the right trade is and almost all of the nuance that comes from separating a good trader from a poor trader is the ability to handle these emotions. So I'm really fascinated by the idea of trying to almost systematize emotions along with the actual act of trading itself and it sounds like that's kind of like what you're trying to do is recognize the emotions and systematize how to deal with them would you agree definitely very cool awesome it's important to get in get in a little bit i think to that word emotions because colloquially when we say the word emotions we may be thinking of something like dismay or 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 something or or affection or um envy and what we're really dealing, it is, it's definitively an emotional paradigm, but we need to get, just get a little bit scientific about that word because what's actually happening, and this is a widely studied thing. So I'm not going to, anyone with even a hobbyistic interest in neuroscience has likely heard this stuff before. So I'm not either A, pretending to be an expert on the matter or B, going to indulge this very long, but it's really important to kind of recognize the basics of what we're really dealing with is. there's a part of your brain that is devoted uh, neurobiologically to literally just keeping you alive. 
And it has this really, really incredible mechanical power of being able to hijack the other parts of your brain that are more thinking, the more Tim and Zach real human being that like, like going back to that idea of that baseline condition of humanity, we think of ourselves as this, oh, I'm, I'm not a mammal, I'm not a primate, I'm a human being, right? That part of right. the, the mind, right. the civilized, eloquent part of the mind. But the, the mammal part of the brain, the limbic, the limbic system, and depending on the neuroscientist you ask, there's like six or seven things at work here. The amygdala in the middle brain and the limbic system of the brain is the, is the major player, is the, is the enforcer of this system, can literally, literally neurobiologically decrease the blood flow to the prefrontal cortex and other parts of the, the thinking Tim brain. Um, and so like, this is what it would happen if you, when we get done with this podcast, if you go to the bathroom and you open your bathroom door and instead of what you expect to find there is a full adult male lion, 500, 600 pound lion of muscle and claws, your ability to do long division, for example, is going to go probably down, right? It's because that part of the brain is being hijacked by something that very correctly has identified that you have something much more pressing to worry about. Does that make sense? And so Absolutely. We, we use this word emotion, but I wish most traders would get a little bit, would dig into that a little bit more in, in realizing that this isn't emo an emotion, a light emotion like dismay or envy or something like that. It's something, it's very, it's a neurobiological reality. And I'm going to say one more thing about this because I think it's very, very important. So I use the example of that lion in the bathroom. Obviously in trading, we aren't dealing with something that is a lethal physical threat to us. So like, what's the lion? If I'm going to use that metaphor, that analogy, and here's what I think is a very important truth about that. Most retail traders, when they sit down to push buttons in their trading practice, they're sitting down alone with a, a form of what they perceive to be salvation. And this can be salvation because it's tied to money. And so money for so many of us, almost all, is deeply and viscerally tied to a number of things. There's a whole list of them. Some, something like scarcity. Anyone with Great Depression era grandparents or, or, or parents raised by them. Um, something like freedom. One of the most common things we hear traders talk about is I just don't want to have to, I don't care if I make a million dollars a year trading. I just want to, don't want to have a boss. I don't want to have to answer to anyone. So freedom being uh, salvation from bondage or captivity of some kind. And then even something like simple, as simple as pleasure, like having a lot of money is associated with pleasure. Okay. What's pleasure, freedom from pain, right? Salvation from pain. Um, and then the list goes on and on and on. So that's the lion, I think. And that's the important of understanding the word emotion in this context is most traders are sitting down with something that they perceive can elevate them above things that can kill or diminish them. And if, if you don't think you are emotionally compromised when you sit down with something that you think can elevate you above what can kill or diminish you, then you you're, it's like saying you wouldn't be emotionally compromised by being in the room with a lion. It's just not, it's not realistic. Not realistic. Sure. Yeah. Do you feel like that perception is, when it comes to trading is really uh, influenced by our culture, American culture? Wow. Yeah. Um, very much so. Yeah. And, and I'd, I'd be curious on your end, what, what leads you to, I can, I can pack, unpack my end of that, but yeah, I def, definitely. Well, I feel like American culture has consistently rewarded getting ahead of the other guy, you know, uh, always striving for something more. The grass is always greener. Um, I want what he has. I want to do better than he does. Uh, and, and we also work, I mean, generally in, in an industry, 
trading in general, this is an industry that oftentimes rewards greed. It rewards profits over process, you know, many times. Um, so I just, I feel like it might be different in other societies and other cultures, the perception of, you know, what really drives one to, to trade and what, you know, type of emotional baggage goes along with it could be different elsewhere. Yeah. I don't, I don't even really have much to add. I couldn't, I couldn't more enthusiastically agree with that. I think that that's, I think the, the key, one of the key things that comes out of that, that line of thinking is you have to really, you have to approach this craft a bit more sincerely than that. Like, you look at study grandmasters of chess or really good MMA fighters. I mean, these people are observably and empirically obsessed with the craft, you know, the money that comes with it, all that stuff. That's that stuff is all very, very real, but um, you, you definitely, what, 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 what we can definitively observe in extremely high capacity and high production traders is there's a, there's an obsession with the craft and the money is definitely real, but it's also just points on the board because the, the rewarding and fulfilling element is in practicing the craft itself. So I see a bit of a catch 22 in the, in the notion of developing to become a successful trader. You know, the old adage, uh, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. What we're talking about is almost removing the potential emotional benefits of being a good trader or what you might enjoy about doing it in an endeavor to find joy somewhere else by using money, as a means to an end. So it's kind of an interesting uh, conversation to have, I guess, where- A little paradoxical. A real a little paradoxical, because if you're looking to just, you know, systematize everything involving trading, then you might not really enjoy doing it. You might, it might get you money, but then, <laughs> but then what, you know, like what's your, what's your contribution to society? Where's your sense of fulfillment? Is it going to come from being a good trader or is it going to come from making a lot of money and giving money back? There's, there's a lot of questions involved with, uh, you know, how you build your career with that mantra. And I think, and I don't, and I don't have the, for you or myself or for, for other people, I don't have the, I don't have the deeply personal and individualized answers that each person will have to respond to that with. <laughs> Um, I can't, I can't walk that road for everyone. I would certainly say if someone was looking to become a trader to contribute to society, that they're in the wrong craft. I mean, <laughs> that's probably, that's probably very true. Very true. Just being completely as someone who thinks deeply about the well-being of other people and has a deep, I run my, I run my, it sounds like virtue signaling, I guess, but I run my life with a, con a constant conscious mindedness towards ethical standards and like, what is how should one live? I constantly, I've always thought about these things since I was a little kid. How should one live? How should a man live, a, a woman live? How should we live? Uh, I, and I can say even with that moral paradigm in the background there that if you've got some idea that you're you're becoming a trader to philanthropically Robin Hood money out of the capitalist system, is it's not it's not the way this any of this works. If you want to go contribute to society, go. I mean, there's there's charitable. Look at you. You run. You help run a charitable cause. Like there's amazing things out. There's amazing people helping the world run better. And it's, it's trading is really not a vocation that's uh, tapped into that so well. So I guess that's a great segue into a question that I do ask a lot of people, which is, what is it that gets you up in the morning? 
Yeah. So, and this, and this is the other thing I was going to say with the last set of things that you raised. I think it's such an incredibly, man, I hope people hear me on this because I think it's such an incredibly important thing is, so a lot of the uh, recent studies that I've been doing, um, study that I've been doing uh, with trading as it relates to this idea of black boxing is there's an incredible parallel with addiction science because some of the stuff that we're trying to, when you study bad traders or when you study the learning curve of someone that's going from losing money to making money in trading, there's a lot of parallels with the skill transfers or the adoption curve of an addict going towards sobriety. Just all sorts of, there's all sorts of parallels, which makes sense. It goes back to the, remember that the traders sitting down with a form, with sitting down with what they perceive to be a possibility of salvation from things that can kill or diminish them. So I think one of the most important things we can focus on is so many errors, so many of these bad things we're trying to black box. And I promise this is answering your question about what, what's in it for me. So many of these bad parts of the human condition as it relates to, to decision-making and the urgency of her black boxing, it's not a wrong belief about the subject matter. It's a wrong belief about our own joy and fulfillment. So to use an example, a heroin addict doesn't have a wrong belief about the drug. No heroin addict thinks it's actually health food. You don't, we don't see that. Mm-hmm. A drunk doesn't, doesn't believe that the, the prevailing science, scientific evidence about alcohol is all wrong and he's actually imbibing a, a ta- an elixir of health. They have a wrong belief that the heroin will make them happy sure. and fulfilled. That's the wrong belief. When someone is scrutinizing and assessing the circumstances that addiction has brought them to in their life, there's almost never, stupidity isn't an intellectual under-endowment. People, people that make really stupid, wretched, bad decisions, like losing, like including losing a bunch of money in trading, and I'm, I am fully in this camp. I'm not speaking from a podium down into the world of de- degeneracy. I am, right. I, am in the, I am in the crowd talking with you guys. Um, it's almost never a, and there's, an, there's been a problem, a, a wrong belief in intellectually identifying what, you know, the subject matter. It's, a, it's an error in where the, where the source of joy and fulfillment comes from. And I think that that's such a massive problem for a lot of retail traders and why so many retail traders lose money is they've incorrectly, identif- they've incorrectly uh, assigned money or financial success especially like short-term financial success. Wealth would be one thing, but like short-term financial success with a salvific, they've given it a salvific property of elevating them outside of being killed or diminished. And I think that that is, if I've had any success in this or in, or in other things, it may be just that I don't, I definitely, I mean, I do, everyone does to some extent, but to go back to your original question, like I really do and always have, um, appreciated trading as a craft in the same way that, and I have no idea what woodworking is like, but I can imagine the flow state and the ecstasy of a woodworker. We were talking before we started the podcast, we were, you were talking about your classical training as a photographer, that it's in your family. Mm-hmm. Perhaps even in, perhaps if we were to scrutinize the molecules of your DNA, a little bit of your father's craft is in there somehow, some, some way. I can feel I've never been a photographer. I feel like I take horrible pictures. I can, I have a kinship and a colleagueship with your father because I know definitively the flow state and the ecstasy that he, that he very likely felt uh, in his craft. And I, I go to trading that way every, every day. Right. Well, it's, it's kind of how I feel with, with uh, running the event. 
Like when I get, I mean, you've been to Vegas. You Your first time in Vegas was last year. The moment that I touch down in Las Vegas, I'm in a state of flow for two weeks. And it's it's like my happy place. And it's weird. But I think, honestly, you asked that question like I asked you about what, what brings you to the table each morning. The newer the trader, the more likely the answer is money. The longer these guys, the longer that people are around it, the more professional they are in their approach to trading, the less likely their primary motivator to trade is money. I mean, I think it's what gets a lot of people in the door, the potential. Obviously, if you're a good trader, you can be rewarded financially. But if you only go in for the money and you continue to only do it for the money, then I think that ultimately you're not going to be fulfilled unless you figure out what the bigger picture is. Great. And that's not a sentiment that you, that's not like Zach's opinion that we, we can empirically fat, we, we can state that we can put that in the bucket of facts because what we definitively know when we study the data is way easier to become a trader. If you're rich already, already a made man, desperately and brutally difficult to become a trader if you're poor. Right. Because right. it's a salvation function. A rich man doesn't assign a salvific property to money. He's already he's already saved in that dimension. He right. will assign. This goes back to that human condition thing. Remember, you're you're you are you are broken in the dimension you assume to be a baseline of your humanity. You are completely and wretchedly broken, for lack of a better word. So, no, make no mistake that rich man is looking for salvation in other things. Perhaps he doesn't have the body that he likes, or that he his what relationship with his wife is. Um, and this goes to blind spots, which is one of the three things that we we want to talk about black boxing as the answer to that rich man is assigning salvation in the same miserable fashion to other things. Uh, but he's not doing that to money. And so he's going to be a much better, the person with 600 grand in the bank is going to be a way better trader than the person with six grand in the bank. There's no, that's not an opinion. That's not an opinion. Right. Right. How do you feel about the ups and downs do you feel like there's a certain sense of satisfaction with it for you or do you are you just angry when you lose money i mean how do you how do you view it because i feel like some guys really do get off on that up and down like the the euphoria associated with winning and the misery associated with losing like kind of like keeps life interesting i guess you could you could say in a way you're saying that so casually um like as if it's almost somehow obvious or something i feel like that's an underrated premise of i think that's an underrated and underobserved reality of of this bullshit space of retail trading like retail social retail trading social media and stuff i think a, a good portion of people out there including absolutely myself in the past are 100 showing up for a nice cocktail of really intense emotions euphoria misery terror I mean, no other craft can you go from like there. I remember, you know, years went by where I was having monumental fluctuations in my liquid net worth from day to day. Like one day I would be worth 1.1 million and the next day be ha having to wonder, like, how do I ask to borrow money if everyone thinks I'm a millionaire? <laughs> like, and then having to go out in the world like I'm a normal person. I'm just like one of you, like nothing's going on. I mean, it's, and, and, and looking back 100%, that's what I was there to d be doing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to consciously articulate to you. I chose this. I would have, I would have said consciously, because remember 
I believe myself to be a rational being subverted by emotion. I am actually an extremely emotional being. I can, and I can put myself in the position to be subverted by reason. So I would have said to you, because I don't, no one wants to put on the clown. Like we all put on this entire clown costume in the morning, big red nose, big red shoes. And no one wants, like, we don't want to talk about it. Like, I don't want to have to look you in the eye and be like, I put my entire clown costume on this morning because it's humiliating, (laughs) but you did, but I did, I did though. So I wouldn't have been able to tell you, oh yeah, I'm just life. Like life is life is like this for most people. And I can't take this because I don't feel anything here. So I needed to take it here. And that's why I was a millionaire yesterday and I'm on, on Craigslist looking for a job today or whatever it is. I, so anyway, long-winded there, but I a hundred percent think that that's, that's what's going on for a lot of people. Maybe that's, maybe there's some crossover there with uh, being like an adrenaline junkie, like the guys that do like the, the free solo climbing and they, it's almost like they don't even feel alive if they're not constantly risking their life so in other words so what's the free so this is like this is so important Zach. like so what's the free climber looking for what's you like what's the what are we looking for like what's going on here what why do we trade what's that free climber why is someone doing an incredibly riskful proposition with nothing other than maybe i guess some uh, free climbers are youtube famous so you could say fame fame is a fame is a desire to be gratified by being understood at a very high dosage something absolutely we all want that free climber is looking for salvation up there on the rock too. He's looking for to be elevated above things that can kill and diminish him. He's just oh, for he's, sure. doing this, he's doing the same thing we're all, we're all doing. He's, and going up to the la- it's an adrenaline thing, right? Like you're go you're walking up to the edge and you know getting very close to you know a, a break point and that that you're getting off on it. And I think that the same thing could be said about trading. And I think the same thing could be said about gambling. You know, are you a gambler? Me personally, like yeah. do I. Uh, I do not, I play poker, which is a skill. I won't play a game that is so like, you know, the distinction between a skill game and just, of course, I, I I don't, I can't find enjoyment in if it's not a skill game. I I couldn't agree with you more. And and I know other traders that we host in Vegas. We know that these guys enjoy gambling, but I feel like if you go into trading with a gambler's mentality, you're going to lose. But the, the best traders that I know hate gambling, hate it. Likewise. What's the enjoyment in knowing you're going to lose? Likewise. So there's an ego. Of course, there's an ego. There's two parts of that. There's an ego part of that, which is like I have to tell, like if I tell someone I'm a trader, what they think of me, I'm I'm my ego gets all riled up because you think I'm like a Wall Street bets, or you think I'm like I remember when I <laughs> 2013 when I first when I I had first quit a very lucrative full-time job. And I remember I was at a happy hour with my finance finance bros. It was the first time that we had convened for a happy hour after I had quit the job. And I remember one of them, I'll never forget it. He looked at me. So he said something like, Timmy, you just been day trading there. <laughs> it was like the <laughs> most dismissive. So like, it's an ego thing to say, oh, I, I hate gambling because I want to puff myself out and say, I know my craft isn't gambling. But it also goes back to the most successful traders are deeply in love and impassioned with their craft. And that is nothing like Baccarat or Blackjack. There's no, there's no comparison in the rich, richly and mutually stimulating call and response you have with a true craft and just the spikes of adrenaline and and dopamine that you might get from either winning or losing at a blackjack table no doubt okay so we've established that 
ultimately you do this because you love the craft. You treat trading as kind of like almost like uh, an art, right? So how do you feel that all of the uh, the psychological aspects that we've been talking about, how do you feel they play into your risk tolerance and how you uh, approach uh, how much risk you can stomach? Rephrase the question. I feel like it's a very good question that I'm not grasping fully. Uh, your, your black box approach in taking all of these uh, emotional elements and systematizing them as we talked about how do you i guess quantify your risk tolerance using this uh, methodology um okay so this yeah it's a good question so the point with black boxing is so that we we can we can we can uh define excellence or success in anything as correct vision or correct thinking uh becoming correct action with very low interference on the way so another way, just really keeping it super simple here, you could take someone like Michael Jordan or Michael Phelps and say that in their craft, Michael Jordan thought and envisioned a lot of very correct things about basketball and was remarkably uninterfered with on the path to making that into correct action. We look, look at someone like Steph Curry or whatever it is, or George Soros. George Soros thinks a lot of really correct things about finance and global markets and macro positioning, and then doesn't encounter what many of us encounter on the way to that becoming correct action. In other words, he takes the correct actions that align with the correct vision. So black boxing is all is just about that. It's about establishing that you're looking at your craft the right way. So we're talking about trading today. So vocationally, these are things like risk parameters. What's a profitable setup? Like what? And so what you find about the vast majority of traders who are failing aren't brand new. And so they know a lot of correct things about trading or, or like what a profitable is like the vast majority of unprofitable traders know to buy low and sell high versus the other way around for the most part. They know that. But then you still have this massive cohort of traders that are unprofitable. And so there's interference on, on the way from looking at things the right way and doing things the right way. It's just really, really notable. So going back to your question about risk and so forth, um, and every single one of the most successful traders I know, I know personally three or four nine-figure traders, dozens of eight-figure traders, dozens of seven-figure traders a year talking about like revenue. All of them look at this way is you just have to, like we talked about the sane and sober paradigm in the tranquility that is that is outside of the real-time emotionally and financially pressurized environments where the decisions actually need to be made on the battlefield, so to speak. And you just need to decide on a very systematic basis what what is my what is my risk. This is different, Zach, from something like personal or constitutional risk tolerance. Like you mentioned, we've talked before and we had a heartfelt conversation. You mentioned you are sort of a risk-averse human being, whereas I am a I am a very risk inclined human being i'm deeply comfortable at what seems to be a fairly molecular level with like too comfortable with risk mm -hmm. not saying it is a good thing whereas you you likely are if you if you describe yourself as risk averse you probably are deeply uh it would probably be a, a deep headwind for you to be you know poignantly risk averse in a craft like this so that's different. There's natural inclinations of people. And there's also just at the, at the level of the system, at the level of your trading approach, 
you just need to literally define, okay, I'm risking 3% of the account on the trade or whatever, and just black box it, black box it. You put it into a system that you can't reach into with the part of you that comes out when it's in that room with that lion or with it, with your salvation or with you firing your boss or your girlfriend loving you or you getting a girlfriend or that part of your brain can't make decisions. There's no blood flowing to it. So I have a two-part question. Hit me. Uh, I've asked I've asked some other people this question. How do you feel about the adage, without great risk, there's no great reward? That's part A. And part B is, do you feel that through the systemization of your trading that you can kind of slug it out and really become like really build wealth in this business without leaving your comfort zone, if you will. When I worked on the desk, oftentimes we would establish protocols, guidelines, rules, a, a, a very primitive form of systemization. And what would end up happening often with more than one of the traders is that we would hit a point where one of the guidelines was crossed, which would basically trigger exiting the position. But typically when that would happen, the rule would be broken. There'd be an override. There'd be an override. So this is black box. This is black boxing and gray boxing. Yep. Uh -huh. Right, right. So, so the question that I would often ask is, why are you not why why are you creating rules if you're not going to follow the rules and the response that i often got was i didn't get to where i'm at by following rules i got here by breaking them i mean what do you say to that so yeah so the second part of the question now that i understand it is much not harder but it's much more nuanced and raw the first thing without great risk with great reward can only come with great risk um, that's some stupid shit a millennial said to sound cool. Okay. The greatest rewards in life come from deeply understood and incremental units of risk taken the right way properly over and fucking over. You can absolutely reap and harvest great reward by taking great risk. That is also a dimension of the normative life that, that exists everywhere every day. But that's to say that that is only accessed that way, that great reward is only accessed. So the only way to make a million is by betting 30 million on uh, an almost sure bet sports game and making them. No, that's not right. The easiest, the best way, not the easiest, the best way to make a million is by identifying a profitable setup where you can make 10 grand that you deeply understand. You have subordinated to sane and sober protocols and do it, do it a thousand times. That, that first statement is so, so, someone trying to sound, someone trying to be a poet. And I'm guilty of that sometimes too. The second part is real, real, real stuff, real world stuff. And I don't have, I'm far from some perfected answer here, but I do encounter that same thing in my, in my work with my team and my mentors. And the vast majority of the people on the team I trade with are more capable and talented than me. So like, I deal with that every day. We know, so I, I, I did a, uh, put this in a tweet once, but the most necessary parts of a trading system are automated or black boxed. 
usually the best and most effective parts of a trading system for for a, like an experienced trader is going to come from discernment which exists outside of that automated or that black box so like things need to be very 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 systemized for the most part but we also very much do observe like and this goes back to like you look at a michael jordan or something these these aren't automatons following a uh, mechanically following a set of rules there is a deep pocket of experience and discernment discretion discretion that's right which is capable of brutally trampling over a rule and often will have done so with merit will have done so to the end of a lucrative outcome um and that just is what i don't know that i have some that just sort of is what it, that's that is what it is well if you, if there was no discretion then how would anybody have an edge right well, you, because you could arrive at a set of conclusions and you could have ascertained a set of inputs and parameters that define a profitable setup, put that into a black box, and then just let the black box work and never need to override it. And I'm, I think maybe there are people doing that. Renaissance Technologies or someone like that, I don't think is overriding their black boxes every day. They're just harvesting what their black boxes plant. So that exists too. You, you can easily imagine of a completely systematized existence. It goes outside of trading too. You could systematize your existence and never override anything. You'd never like fall in love or try a new restaurant or. With black boxes though, don't they kind of work until they don't? I mean, that's kind of like the way that the cookie crumbles, right? Yes. Right. So, I mean, if you're not actively looking at it and tweaking it and modifying it, eventually it's not going to work. So yeah, agreed. And I would like to talk about blind spots a little bit because that, that relates to that. But so a trading black box almost certainly will cease to work or at least experience uh, monumentally diminished efficacy at some point. Because that's the way sort of the markets work. The market sort of works this way. It'll, it'll reward a certain edge for six months or six years. Um, and then it's really good about sort of turning on its little ballerina shoe and not only does Zach not know it's turned, but it's, it's going to start taking. Now it's, now we take it back. Right. Of course we, we launder out the edge and we take back Zach's. You thought you had it clever shorting XIV every it's day. It's like an organism adapting to new conditions, right? Very much so. Yes. It's a, it's a big collective organism adapting to new conditions. What I will say is I think the bigger picture tenant that I think a lot, hopefully a lot of people will take from this if they watch it is, I think that there, uh, in, in human decision-making, there is a way of black boxing. There's a way, Zach, in my opinion, that the, the way the world is and is not. I know we, we very much live right now in a time where that's being challenged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't be more true. But uh, I, do, I, do, I do hold to the old-fashioned belief that there is a way things are and aren't. And uh, so I think a lot of what we talk about, when we talk about, you're right, that a, a trading system, that a trading edge that is black boxed needs to be observed and, and scrutinized at the end of every day on an ongoing basis. But a lot of the stuff, a lot of the really important and meaningful work we can do in our own lives with black boxing is the world's not going to change. Human nature is not going to change. Men and women aren't going to change. The, the default, like the ingredients and aspects of things like power and scarcity and, and all this stuff, like a lot of these things have been, go read go read a history book about like ancient Greece. Like it's all the same. I mean, it's, I mean, the same, go read Shakespeare. It's the same. I went like, you read a Shakespeare play. I went through some of the, I went through a love triangle two weekends ago. I went through a, <laughs> someone has more than me and I want it. 
I mean, this is all the same stuff. So yes, a trading black box needs constant observation. Some of the really amazing stuff, I think what I want to spend the next 10 years of my doing my life doing essentially, I don't need to wake up tomorrow and ask, do I need to black box myself outside of making decisions based on desires and appetites? I know for a fact that's going to be true until I take my last breath. Do you black box any other part of your life? That's what I've been working on. I want to black. I think we, so I, we had a really, I have a very, um, a mentor who's like one of my best friends and we have a working investment thesis that you, you you're familiar with this. There's this distinction between corrections and bear markets and I, I won't belabor it, but there's like people talk about it constantly. Is it a magnitude thing? Is it a duration thing? Is it something that's connected to underlying economic conditions? I have my own, my own answer, but no one cares. The big picture was <laughs> we, we, we believe that over the next like 10, 20, 30 years, market corrections are just going to be way bigger and higher velocity, more carnage and pain than they have in the past. Traditionally, it's like a correction is 15%. I think the S&P, the S&P corrects 10 to 15% almost every year for its 200 whatever year history. Like it's not some break of a rule. If the, if the S&P goes down 15%, that's the rule that it's a break of the rule when we don't. And we just sort of think that corrections are going to be like 30 to 40% now just because of information and the access to technology and the new cycle and the heightened ass, the heightened desperation of humanity in modern times. And so when COVID, this was like 2019, we came up with this. So COVID happened March of 2020 and the S&P was down 36% quarter over quarter. And it happened super fast and it was very sentiment driven and the economic conditions were relatively unaffected. Like corporate earnings actually, corporate earnings didn't have some massive suffering from COVID. There was a natural slowdown of the economic cycle and stuff, but it's, it's kind of hard to argue we went into a recession in March, 2020. Like, I don't think that the, the data really, I know everyone knows someone who had a small business that went out of business. I, I get it. Like I'm not blind, but it's, it's really hard to argue that 2020 was like 2008, an actual recession. So I, I just say all of that to say like the way that we navigated the 2020 correction did not reflect the fact that we'd basically said, like I said, corrections are now going to be 40%, not 15. And then that happened. That literally happened. And if you look at the actions, they don't look like the, th the thought. Right. Correct vision, incorrect action. And so I want to like, I want to get really kind of serious and radical, if you will, about doing this in, 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 in inside and outside of my vocation. Very interesting. So I guess that begs the question, like, what do you do for fun? Good question. Not enough. I'm definitely a big, I mean, this is this, these kinds of conversations and understanding uh, life and the world around me are, are a big part of it. I've just always been sort of, sort of made that way. Um, try to work out, stay physically active. Um, I have a lot of really fruitful relationships kind of, related to the vocation of trading and so forth. And just a lot of conversation that stems from those and I'm a big self self-improvement guy. So reading and just kind of trying to optimize myself for the years ahead and build something, build something epic before I fizzle out. I feel like I could picture you sitting at a bar on a Friday night, waxing philosophic, talking about like the existence of a spirit. <laughs> 100%. At a hotel, at a at a Best Western hotel bar, to a Best stranger Western. from Des Moines <laughs> who barely cares, and I'm just all in on it. Tim, where do you? So you're currently in Dallas, yeah, and and you split time between Dallas and Portland, yeah. 
So the beautiful pictures that we see of your your setup and all that, that's in Portland, I assume? Yes. Very pretty, like with the mountains and stuff in the background. For sure. That's very cool. Yeah. Portland's that's not your residence, right? That's just your office? No, residence. Yeah, office and residence in Portland. Oh, nice. Yeah. Wow. Super jealous. Uh, so anyway, there was a topic that we had uh, discussed beforehand that you wanted to bring up. So I'll just ask you um, to talk a little bit about human blind spots and how they uh, pertain to what it is that we do. Yeah, something I, I, I've been thinking about so uh, so much recently. So, and it goes back to the perception shift that we talked about at the very beginning, which is what what do we believe we are? And I think some of the important and humbling observations that need to be made there. So sort of by definition, your blind spots, Zach, are blind to you, right? And mine are, mine are to me. That's sort of the definition of a blind spot. So what you see in human behavior as it relates to desire for improvement um, is we typically look externally for detection is the, is the word. Detection is huge in trying to understand and improve human behavior as it relates to like measurably improved outcomes in a, in a skill craft like trading. So we look to tools and technologies and other people and then other groups of people. So like institutions for detection of our blind spots. And this is way beyond trading. This is, we, we, we do this in all forms of, of our life and in, in, in our search for um, improving ourselves. And there's this really, really where it gets really fun and tricky and really nuanced is detection of blind spots can be really, really, really difficult. Like if I were to go to detect yours, or if you were to go to detect mine. And one of the most interesting parts of that is this mechanic where typically when someone is breaking one rule in a set of rules really badly, they're almost always following all the other rules in the set more strictly. So like imagine Zach, you're a a narcotics distributor and you're driving down the road, you got about 150 grand worth of work in the trunk, extra Jay-Z years, 94, my trunk is raw. Uh, Great analogy, by the way, I run a nonprofit, (laughs) (laughs) but I'll imagine myself as a drug dealer to to humor you. They're all selling hope. We're all selling hope. (laughs) Speed limits 40. How fast are you going? 40. So another, another example of this is like, if you were to take a sample of people cheating on their spouses, is the remembrance of the anniversary date higher or lower in the sample? I would imagine that if you're cheating, you probably are, are more likely to know it. You're showing up to that anniversary yeah. with flowers and a mullet. That's right. That's right. Um, Which is not very intuitive, but that that for sure, that I would agree with that. So the big, I'm not meaning to over, over rely on, on novelty uh, uh, metaphors, but the, the, point that emerges there is humans are extremely good at this, which is we'll take a very logically faulty underpinning or a tenant, like a false belief, like I was talking about, and we will dress it up in a very logical surrounding structure. Mm-hmm. And so like going back to the drug deal example, I mean, someone could say Zach's a really careful driver, or you could say that of yourself and that's true, but it's uselessly incomplete the the true the thing that should the thing that most notably needed to be detected there oh Zach's a drug dealer Zach's Zach's hauling that Zach's hauling blow across Zach's hauling <laughs> a twenty year felony across town right you know that's that was the that was the complete truth of that not that you were a careful driver so we're just really good at delivering 
these narratives. So one of the tenants here in, um, in black boxing is we really need to get really serious about acknowledging that we do not see the world as it is at all. Really. We see, we experience a highly customized and stylized variant of reality that we deliver to and maintain for ourselves under the governance of these emotions, desperation, fear, hope, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And that is something we will usually package up with an incredibly rational structure, especially when it comes time to, to talk to someone else about it especially when it comes time. So in that moment of where you are literally soliciting and remember this, I'm saying this as someone who has, I have tried to fruitfully help hundreds of other traders assassinate demons level up. I mean, I have, I'm not saying that I've been good at that, but I have been, I mean, it's been, it's been the, the greater part of most of my days for two years now. Um, so it's not like this isn't just idle talk for me. Mm -hmm. We will, we will try to Trojan horse that, that faulty assumption in because it's so it's too hard just to say i'm a drunk i chase trade i chase moves i'm a gam I'm a, i have a gambling i mean i'm straight up have a gambling addiction we can't we can't it's so hard to even acknowledge that for ourselves let alone to deliver that to someone even if we are desirous of their help so we'll usually dress and you see this again going back to addiction science you see this all over the place there's the, the, you know, the there will be these faulty conclusions in an addict like someone who is looking at their circumstances uh if they're de dealing with let's say alcohol abuse and they'll come to some ridiculous and outrageous conclusion like i just can't drink tequila right right it's an income it's an it's true but it's <laughs> uselessly incomplete it's right. a logic. It's a it, it has the form and seeming function of something logical, but it, it isn't really. So anyway, all of that just to say blind spots are huge because you have no idea. Anyone listening to this, including myself, we have no idea what our blind spots are. And detection of these blind spots is really crucially difficult, even with people who we trust or pay or solicit or like a shrink, like a shrink, a coach. Right. Uh, accountability partner in addiction cases, even the people that we explicitly assign the very intimate and fraternal and, and, and close value of helping us from like helping us identify and detect blind spots. Yeah. Still so hard. Right. So that's so, like, it kind of goes back to your question about what do I do for fun. It's like, I really want to see what I'm not seeing out there. I'd really like to get, I would really like to get kind of radical uh, in the next 10 years. None, none of this stuff happens in a week. Like none of this stuff is short-term gratification. It's going to take a decade, but I'd really like to, what is the world actually like Zach? Not Zach's or Tim's, but what's it actually like out there? Would you call that your guilty pleasure? Like the, that study of philosophy? Yeah, I get, yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I don't feel it's, it's not guilty or I, I feel guilty <laughs> doing anything else, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, well, I mean, guilty in, in the sense that it's, you know, uh, it's somewhat, I wouldn't say abnormal, but it's not, I, I wouldn't call it typical. You know, it's not a typical recreational pastime. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I stray, I'm, I'll, I'll park on this for exactly one minute. I stray, I, I hesitate to go too far outside of just trading because most people will be watching this and I want to contribute to them 
in their vocation because that's what your podcast is for. And that's what the amazing traders for a cause is for. And that's what I'm for. And so I, I won't park on this too long, but you're right. It's divergent from what a lot of people consider to be a passionate pursuit or spend a lot of time thinking about. I think that one of the hallmarks, one of the things that not many people are talking about with human life is that consciousness is an extremely isolated, isolated situation. And we feel, I think one of the most underlying parts of the way humans can be observed to be behaving and acting is that we're like, we're suffering from being deeply alienated and isolated. Even I feel, I feel a deep colleagueship and new friendship and fraternity with you in the 90 minutes we've spent together. But at the base, if you were to look deeper in me, I, I'm very, very much kind of, I feel very isolated and alienated from the world around me. And I, I'm seeking to be kind of seen and understood and judged and evaluated and, and, and all these other things. And so I say all that just to say, I think most people are sedating that. And I'm just trying to wrestle. I'm just trying to wrestle it. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm no better or worse than anyone else. I just think that there's this stirring and uncomfortable thing, this uh, antagonizing agent at the base of the human condition. And a, a lot of people are sedating it like with television or also, I mean, you, you know, this is widely studied, but I, I'm just trying to like get on top of it a little bit, like get out there on top of it for better or for worse. Do you feel like you want to ever, you know, take those thoughts and put them to paper and like publish something or, or come out with uh some some form of media to to discuss it when i when i think i have something valuable to say i i very much feel like i'm a good questioner right now and not a good answer i feel like i've definitely i'm not going to be over humble i feel like i'm asking some of the right questions asking them the right way i think i'm having good conversations about the vocation of trading and what it you know how should we live like i was saying earlier but i don't feel at all, like I have any answers or it really insights about things. Well, do any of us really have any answers? I mean, we're all just kind of winging it here, aren't we? I have met I have met men that do, and so by that metric, I mean, I get I get the sentiment of your point. Like, yeah, maybe aren't not. They, aren't they typically like spiritual leaders, <laughs> like or, Ram Dass and you know those types of guys, like that, the ones that maybe have it figured out for themselves. The ones in my the ones in my life that I know, like the one to four men that I know in my life aren't wishy-washy spiritual metaphysical gurus like Ram Dass or Eckhart Tolle. They are ruthlessly powerful business people okay. in a position of enormous responsibility. They are good family members. They are good husbands and fathers, and they are they go through life bearing an, the burden of an enormous, almost unthinkable, ineffable amount of responsibility. True men, like back straight up like a reed, not cowards. So I, I know, you know, a very a fractional of the people I know are people like this. And I, I have a long way to go to to be a man like that. So interesting. Where do you think that those guys find their fulfillment? It would it would differ from person to person, but. Family is a huge one, man. It's, and it's interesting. You asked about some of the stuff like outside of the vocation of trading. I'd like to, you have a family, right? Mm -hmm. I'd like, uh, that's one box, man. I am outside looking in on, and I have the, the respect I have for your father. Right. So the respect I have for being a father and being a husband, like I, I, I joke sometimes I can't keep a house plant alive for a few days. 
like, man, that's just something I have so much learning to do. I hope someday I could, I could uh, be a good member of a family. Like I would have, I could have a family fruitfully. I have outflowing respect for the project that that must be. Perhaps, you know, deep philosophical conversations at the corner bar aren't exactly uh, drawing the ladies in with, uh, with, with great vigor. No. <laughs> so maybe you just need to, <laughs> maybe you need to flip your strategy just on the front end a little bit, like kind of like put off those conversations for a few dates and uh, perhaps, perhaps you'll have a different result. You, you got to perfect a, that that system that you got to black box it. I'm telling you, you should have a dating advice podcast for busy professionals <laughs> like myself. Walk me through some of this stuff, man. That's hey, man. impactful. I, I think it's all uh, about reading the room. <laughs> that's I think that's the key. Sure. But hey, you're also bouncing between two cities on other sides of the country. So that doesn't really, you know, got to think of stability and. Is that, is that a goal of yours to, to get, to become a family man and to start a family? Definitely. Cool. Yeah. Well, you have time. How old are you? 34? Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're a baby. It's actually, yeah. It's you actually my, it's my 35th birthday today. Are you kidding me? I'm not. Why did you wait? <laughs> why did you wait until now in our recording to tell me that? Happy birthday, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's good to be here. I can't believe I made it this far. It's it's kind unbelievable. Of 35. Happy. That's great. Yeah. yeah. I just hit 40. I feel. Uh, oh, wow. It, it was the, uh, this is back in November, but this is the first birthday, I think, in my adult life where I truly felt like, yeah, I'm getting old. Sure. You know, 40 was, 40 was different. Uh, up until this one, it would, they were, they were all the same. Sure. But I woke up on my 40th. I'm like, yeah, getting old. That's a, that's another element for me that kind of goes into some of these things is I, I really feel, I just feel like there's so much, there's so much to do. And I don't, I, 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 I don't, um, I don't want to lead an idle existence. I, I, I talk with my team members sometimes, like I have all sorts of issues and problems and flaws, just like everybody else. I'm, I'm the lowliest of people really. If you look at me, I'm so much left to figure out and learn. But one thing I do, I think do well and is good about me is I wake up every morning, Zach, with just, I wake up with just the biggest kind of chip on my shoulder in a, in a positive way. I really do kind of spring to life every day. And I, I don't know exactly what that's for. I don't have some immortal design or some master plan really, but I do, uh, I don't want to go gently into that good night, as that poem says. Like, I don't want to hit like 35, 40. We're so young, 45, 50 young. I don't want to get like, I don't want to get, I hope I'm like dead or like a space emperor or something at 70. Like, I, like, I just don't. <laughs> space emperor. I want to do like, I hope I'm, you know, or like, or I found like an insane passion for murals and I'm a famous muralist or something. I just want to have done something. I want to have left a mark. Yeah. You want to leave a mark on the world. And, and honestly, I think a lot of guys find their passion for uh, philanthropy and altruism thinking about that. We have guys, I know guys that that donate a hard percentage of what they make to charity. And in a world like day trading where, you know, you are defined by profit and loss, it's a it's kind of a way to seek another sense of fulfillment aside from just your balance sheet. Definitely. I think, and I think that's, I have enormous respect for that. I think that's amazing. I really do, like, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Trading is a big ego. There's a big ego part of this. Like the part of that people say, oh, 99% of traders fail. It's like, 
no one's actually studied that. You just want to believe you're doing something only 1% of people can do. And, you know, training is decently difficult. Like, you know, I would imagine other vocations are like you talk to a welder, that shit's not easy. Flames flying everywhere. But like, it's not some, we're not special. It's a, it's like basically a computer game. It's an information game. It's a skill game. Uh, there's reads on other market participants. Like it's not some sacred special thing. It's just kind of a, it's just another vocation. And for those people that are making bunches of money uh, doing it and then giving that to a, like a, a greater cause, I have just absolute huge respect for them. Absolutely. I have a little, I have a lot of like, I have a little bit of an existential problem with trading. Sometimes I just, it's a lot of like ego and there's a lot of energy drinks. And at the end of the day, it's like, I put this in that ebook I wrote, like at the end of every day, a farmer has sowed a field, a doctor has splinted a bone and I made some money or lost some money. It's like, it sounds pretty shallow, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a shallow, it's a shallow and very egotistical little craft. And for those people making a bunch of money, feeding their families and giving back to the world. Fuck. Yeah. I love it. So I guess this is an important question to ask. I heard you on another interview say that before you started trading that you were a sales professional, mm-hmm. what would you be doing right now if you weren't trading? Mm, I, I would probably be in, in sales and relationship building, probably something like that okay. or a subway sandwich artist, a subway sandwich artist is the question I'm going to go with or the answer I'm going to go with. I love yeah. that. Brilliant. Would you, would you like it toasted? <laughs> I always like it toasted. Actually it depends on the toppings, but yes. Absolutely. To the toasting. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. See? That'd be good. Well, I want to thank you for uh, coming on today, uh, Tim. This has been such an enlightening conversation and, and so enjoyable for me. Um, and uh, I hope that we can continue to have you be a part of the Traders for a Cause community and uh, continue to participate in our events. And anytime you want to come back on, I'm, I'm always welcome to have you. And we can talk about some other crazy shit next time. Sounds great. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I'm a huge fan of what you and Nate are doing with that, with that project. So if my, if my input is desired at all, I'm always insofar as my, my little output is desired, I'll always be there. So it's a great, fantastic. Little... Uh, thank you again. And, uh, in the meantime, trade profit and make a difference. See you all next right. week. Thanks Zach.